Hello and welcome to another episode of Ideaprov. I'm your host, Mike Pedersen. And today um, we have a really abstract topic that we want to get to that'll really kind of stretch your brains and make you think about a little bit, uh, things a little differently. But first, I want to introduce our co-creator for today. Her name is Abby. I met her through a mutual friend online and we really kind of clicked and, you know, we, we talked about the idea and the, and the topic and she was really, you know, enthusiastic and excited about doing it. So, Abby, how are you? Tell us how your day's been so far. Doing good, doing good. Just jumped out of the shower, so I'm shiny clean and ready to go for this. That's always helpful when you get clean. You know, I mean, it's, it's a different mindset, different feeling. Like you feel like ready for the day, so I'm all about that. Yeah, I kind of feel like with the topic that we're going to talk about today, you know, just sort of washing your way is like a good way to get started with this. So, yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so with that, um, talking about just kind of being clean and and kind of recentering your focus. What what kind of has your focus? right now like what's what's on the top this is your moment your your segment to kind of tell us you know what you're what you're passionate about yeah so you know I, I've always thought of myself as somebody that looks at the world just slightly different um, maybe a little bit of a different tilt and I flip problems around and, and look for solutions you know until they kind of fit into this ideal picture um, and then I kind of play it backwards of like, okay, if this is ideal, like what's the, what's the obstacles to getting to ideal and solve those kinds of things. So, you know, I, I'm a really firm believer in, you know, with system with systemic problems, right? You need very holistic approaches to how you want to solve those things. So, you know, I'm super excited to be here um, with Ideaprov because um, just in general, like <laughs> I'm a little bit of a role-playing game nerd, um, and I like to do like game playing on my on my weekends. Yes, Dungeons and Dragons is um, a really fun thing because you know it's nothing but um, sort of challenges and what would you do, and you get to kind of play somebody else while you're doing that. So um, yes, that's <laughs> just a little about me. Um, but something that I would say I'm really really passionate about is um, you know the foundation that my family started. Um, and it's called Carmen's Angel Fund. And so Carmen was my niece. And two years ago in February, we lost her um, to a shunt complication. So she had um, a condition that's called hydrocephalus. And so her angel fund, um, you know, we, we do a lot of fundraising for research and treatment options because for the most part, the only way to sort of treat that condition, um, which, you know, for your listeners that maybe don't know what that is, um, you know, normally your spinal fluid, right? It flows through your nervous system. Um, and for her, it didn't work, it didn't work correctly. So that fluid could build up in her brain. Um, and so she had to have a medical device called a shunt, which would drain that excess fluid down into her abdomen. Um, and when she was about seven and a half years old, um, it had a catastrophic failure. Um, and so we ended up, we ended up losing her. Um, so on her birthday, we started a, a fund, right. To, to try to help other kids. Um, but one of the things we did, um, you know, around that is we did do organ donation. So that's another thing that I really am a strong, strong advocate for. Um, you know, and especially when you're looking at kids, what a lot of people don't understand is, you know, 
a, a six-year-old, you know, little girl with a heart condition, she can't just go and get an adult-sized heart put in her. She has to have one of a child that's near her size, near her age, you know, which in those situations, right, you're, you're kind of um, maybe hoping a little bit for somebody else's child. Like, it's, a, it's kind of a weird situation. Um, but one of the things that we did is we did organ donation, and my niece was an angel for five different people. Um, she saved a little girl with her, with her heart. She saved a little boy with um, the liver donation, and then she saved two adults with kidney, uh, with her kidney donations, and then um, gave another lady her sight back um, through, you know, donating the corneas. Um, I will say, you know, it's incredibly hard to sit in the hospital room and make that decision, but, you know, even through such immense. Um, almost debilitating grief in that moment, you know, to know that you can, you can save those, you know, that many people gave us, you know, definitely some solace. Um, so it's just something I've become really, really passionate about. Um, yeah. And advocating for. I mean, uh, thank you for educating me because I, I, I was not aware of um, just, well, one only the, the condition on, on one end, but, um, you know, when he started talking about it, it really made me think like, yeah, you know, cause my first brain is like, okay, well, it, it goes to the same about, you know, transplant lists and whatever, but their bodies are so tiny. Like they can't take a, like a regular sized person. And everybody talks about, oh yeah, the transplant with kidneys and all this kind of stuff for adults. But for children, the probability is super small to be able to find something that fits, you know, just one in their body. And then you have to think about like blood types and all those other different factors and variables. And then of course, you know, like you said, in the hospital, trying to make those decisions is extremely challenging and difficult. And, you know, me in my situation, like, you know, I'd, I'd lose it if, you know, something happened to my little one, you know, but, you know, it, it's, it's really profound that you guys started it. So how do, you know, how do people find out more, potentially get involved? Do you guys like have a foundation or a website or something for people to be able to research and share? Yeah, so we've got um, on Facebook, you can go to Carmen's Angel Fund and like the page. Um, we also are on Twitter as well. For And so both of them, um, you're looking for Carmen's Angel Fund. Carmen's Angel Fund, that's, I mean, I think it's something that probably needs to be talked about a little bit more just with just organ donation. I believe I'm one for, you know, because you have to put on your driver's license and stuff like that to be able to help. But it's those little things that, you know, like you talk about, if you helped, what, four people, five people get their sight back? Like those are monumental kind of changing things for people to, to be able to do. And it's, it's little things that, I shouldn't say little, but it's those things that can help make the world kind of a better place you know, with people being able to live a higher quality of life. Um, unfortunately, something had to, you know, something negative had to come from that, but you can, that's yeah. a, good, a good way to turn a negative into a positive, you know? Yeah, well, and you know, you bring up an excellent point, right? You've got to sign the back of your driver's license, but the other part of that is you also need to tell your family your, your wishes because um, your, your family is still gonna to have to give the authorization in that moment. They're still gonna to have to make the call um, of saying like, 
hey, this is what Mike wants. Hey, this is what Abby wants. Um, they have to have the strength of knowing your wishes to know how to decide in that moment. Um, so, you know, it's take both steps, right? Not just sign, but also tell your family what your wishes are. Um, you know, just to ensure that, you know, I, I've been a firm advocate of like, look, I can't take it with me. So if it can help save somebody else's life, it can, if it can give somebody back, you know, moments in their life that they wouldn't have, um, cause you're gonna lose me anyway, like family do it. Mm-hmm. Like I can't take it with me. Yeah, like, like kind of like what's the point, right? Like I want to take it with me just so that way I can have it. Like you can yeah. give somebody else sight or, you know, like another better chance at life. And especially if it's a child, you know, you have to think like it's it's completely different if, if they're older, maybe somebody's in their 50s. Like they've already had a pretty decent amount of life um, that they've experienced. I mean, but when you're talking children, you know, five, six, seven years old, like their entire life is ahead of them. Like giving them the opportunity to be able to to bring great things to the world. Like, I don't know, you could be somebody who could make some profound, you know, cancer research or something like that. You know, the, the limitations for that child are unlimited at that point. So why not give it back? So I, so we're talking about like bring good things to the world. And you know, that's a very tender story that I think uh, will resonate with some people out there. So we'll definitely, like I said, share that information, but you know, it kind of brings us to that topic that we have for today, which was, you know, the concept of, of life. Um, and, you know, that story is allowing others to live their life. But our theme for today was, how can you make peace with our unlived lives? My first thought with this is, we have to be okay with the concept of changing you know, and, and, and how our lives will have and flow and shift, you know, from the time that we're, you know, super childhood, adolescence, you know, young adults into middle-aged and into, you know, our senior years and be okay with that fluidity of the person that you think that you're probably going to be is probably not going to be the case. The items that you're going to learn aren't going to um, maybe impact you or, or maybe not impact you in the same way. But, um, Having the concept of a constant evolution of what your life is going to be like, I think is a, is a way that you can come to terms with the decisions you make. And if you're coming to terms with those decisions, then it'll be a little bit easier to be okay with those lives that you, know, you might not have lived if you went a different path. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, when I look at that and I think about this topic of like, how do you make peace, right? With, with a potentially unlived part of your life. I think we all have these, or at least I do, maybe you do. Um, you know, I had these certain milestone ages, right? Where I thought I would be and fill in the blank, right? I thought I would be say married by 28. I thought I would be, you know, a parent. by a certain age, right? And for me, my life has taken a completely different track. And in some ways, you almost have to reconcile who you are now with, with who you thought you'd be when you kind of put that, you know, that idea in your head. Um, You know, and I think one of the things that's maybe helped me personally find that peace is, you know, turning that from a me thing into an external like okay maybe it wasn't 
um, what I thought I would be doing, but what have I done for the rest, for the world, like the world outside of me? Um, have I brought value? Have I brought something else that maybe I never thought I would bring, you know, say when I was 18 looking at 28, right? Um, when I was 28 looking at 35, right? Um, you know, and obviously I'm not going to keep going because I'm older than 35, but I'm not going to share <laughs> how much older, <laughs> right? Typical, typical woman answer. I'm not going to share my age exactly. <laughs> Nobody's asking you. You're that is your prerogative. Um, <laughs> it, it's one thing that I've been trying to kind of wrangle with is to like where does this start, right? Like how do we come up with this idea of what ourself is? And, and what I keep leading back to is maybe it's the thoughts that are initially put into our heads with the stuff that we consume and the people that we interact with at a young age, right? So early childhood, um, you know, they talk anywhere between six, 10, you know, whatever the case is, you know, um, oftentimes little girls and boys look at TV shows and you think maybe Disney movies, right? So um, oftentimes it's, you know, Cinderella is the Mulans or whatever of the of the world and you know little girls watch that and they think all right knight in shining armor is supposed to save me that whole thing and then um, maybe they might not actualize as many experiences as they have or you know kind of creates a distorted like they always have to be saved or um, you know maybe doesn't empower them as much or maybe, potentially it's like for example parents will say hey i think you're really smart in this and you should be a doctor or i think you're really smart in that and you should be an engineer and so as we grow older we start to try and of course please what our parents say because they're the most profound voices in our heads and at that you know at those developmental stages and so when we get into our early 20s 30s we still try and actualize on that, looking for our parents' gratification. And then when we have this conflict in our brain about, hey, my dad wants me to be a doctor or a lawyer, but I'm not really sure I want to do that. And how to reconcile and split apart and be okay with the fact that I don't want to be a lawyer or I don't want to be a doctor. I think we have to have some authentic conversations to start with those people who are um, very influential in our lives and impart to them that this might not be the path that I want to go on. Yeah, well, I want to try I had something different. Very similar, you know, situation um, in my upbringing, right? So um, when I was in high school, I was like one of the top in my state for golf. And so it was just, I mean, it was expected you will go to college on a, on a scholarship. Like, you will go and try to play Division One golf. And I had a car accident that fractured my, my lower back, right? <laughs> Playing golf, you can't really play that so well, you know, on a fractured back. And I think it was much easier for me to make peace with that's not going to be my future than it was for, say, my father who had invested so much time and so much money and, and, you know, following me around on, you know, junior tours and paying for, you know, the tournaments and paying for the lessons and playing for the camps. And, you know, I think he had a much harder time with that than maybe I did. I think I, I was able to maybe shed that part of my identity much easier than it was for him. 
Um, so I think, you know, your parents paid, play a very big influence into sort of that identity that you see yourself falling into um, as you go forward in life. But, you know, interestingly enough, this past week I was taking um, a class from uh, Dr. Robert Cialdini, um, his group, so Influence at Work. And I found it very interesting when we were talking about things like social proof of what is the influence, right, of teenagers um, from their peer group. And I'm, I'm kind of thumbing through to say like, okay, how much, you know, it, it, and what they found when they did like a, a, a study on the rates of teen smoking, right? And it was like, okay, if your parents smoke, right, it, it created a, a bit of an influence, right? And it was, you know, 20, 30%. I can't, I don't have all the numbers right in front of me. Um, but if you had like two friends in your peer group as a teenager that smoked, you were like 200 times more likely to smoke because of the influence of your peer group. So I think, you know, yes, the parents have a huge um, impact, especially in the early years. But I think as you get older, um, you know, the peer group that you're trying to identify with also formulates that quite substantially. And so I think there's a lot of pressure at that point to, oh, well, this is the group of friends that I have, or this is the group of friends that I want to stay in this peer group. So I've got to do, you know, I've got to go for the same degree, or I've got to like the same sports, or I've got to, you know, eat the same way, or, you know, do the same activities um, so that I can stay sort of in group as opposed to being you know out of the group and potentially like having to find a new peer group to spend time with um, yeah it's a, it's a it's a, it's important because i think it kind of goes back i mean and not to get too far off but from a you know kind of a biological standpoint like you want to fit in from some type of a group because i don't know if you go back to caveman times or whatever you want to believe in like you don't want to be ostracized you don't want to be out by yourself so you know you have to find this balance of how much you know i want to be part of a tribe because if you know things go crazy i at least have some people that kind of have my back right and especially in that young adulthood and period and you know adolescence time like Friends are the most important things in the world. Mom and dad don't know anything at that time. You know, they're old and cranky and, you know, they have no idea, no concept of anything. So, like, the friends are gold and now it's probably like followers are gold, you know, with the invention of social media and all that kind of jazz. Well, and I think that gets you into a, into a place of, you know, with social media, right? Is now you have to maintain some kind of image that's expected because you've gotten followers for this reason or that reason um and so i you know i think that can also cause you to be in a situation where you're maybe not living the life you want to live but um you've almost taken the external factor and now that's become your reason your compelling reason to exist instead of maybe something that's more authentically you yeah um, it's it's funny that you mentioned that because it's, you know, I'm, I'm thinking with a lot of the stuff that's, you know, coming on from a, a political level, right? You know, and just influences have jumped all over that to be able to try and influence people in different ways. And it's interesting to see how, you know, how do you, I guess, remove those, those triggers and be more authentic to yourself 
and to look at and say, okay, this is, that's, they have an entirely different life than I do. You know, they, they come from a different background. They have completely different background and, and life experiences and, and, and parents and observations and whatever. So why am I trying to emulate or acquiesce to that potential lifestyle and trying to, I guess, split it apart um, to have a healthier boundary to say, hey, you know, yeah, maybe I want to look at fancy pictures and whatever, but at the same time saying like, that's not me, that's not my goals. Those are those aren't the things that I particularly want. They're cool to look at. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the fancy caves and the cool parties or whatever the case is. Um, but that's not what's important to me. And finding what's important to you is I think kind of the core of the issue, right? So finding that life that you want to live to say, hey, listen, these are the things that are important from a career standpoint. I wanna have, maybe it's X amount of money that allows me to live the lifestyle that I want. I want to have, like you were talking about before, by 28, you know, be potentially become a parent or at least meet my significant other that I want for, the, for my future or something like that. And to understand what that path looks like for you, but to also understand that you have to be flexible in it too because you yeah. don't know what's going to change in the next six months, year. I mean, who planned COVID? Nobody. Like, it's, it's yeah. you know, I've talked with people and we're like, hey, yeah, I was thinking about potentially having children, but now I don't know, you know? So it's having that wherewithal, that internal, I guess, clock to be able to say, hey, this is, these are the items that I want to have, but don't be so tied to the time frame in which they occur. Yeah, well, and I, the mental model that I like to use myself is date the picture, don't marry it, right? If you marry it, right, you can't, then it, it shouldn't change, right? You've pledged your vow and, and you know, this is what it's going to be, right? But allow it to shift, allow it to change and see the value and how it changes. Um, as long as that core of what you're doing, the life you're living is something authentically you, and, um, you know, in my mind brings sort of the greatest good um, to yourself and others, right? Then I think it's maybe a place where you can find the peace of like, hey, this didn't, this thing that, this milestone that was in my head, it hasn't happened yet, doesn't mean that it won't ever happen. Maybe, maybe not, but I'm okay with it because I've done these other valuable things that are still authentically me. Um, yeah, and, and to change, like, I guess finding what's, what's that authentic, valuable me piece, right? And to say, hey, look, if, if you find what's authentically you, you can then kind of create that plan. And like you said, being flexible with the time frame that, that it involves and not being so rigid. So it reminds me of a, of a story of a, of, a, um, of a woman that I used to work with and she was, so she was extremely heavily focused on her wedding and she had planned out her wedding to the nth degree, like down to every single detail, what single flower, what single arrangement, whatever. Didn't even have a boyfriend. Like nobody that was of interest to her, but her entire wedding was planned. And I remember talking with her and I was saying, how much energy and did you put into this? And I said, and on top of that, like, one, 
does your groom have any say in any of this whatsoever, you know, that you were thinking about going with? And said, but how much joy is potentially sucked out of that moment because you wanted it to be perfect? You know, all the planning, everything that you've done ahead of time, you know, it, it's great and you want to be prepared, but at the same time, does being neurotic on that day, you know, does it does that suck away some of the some of the impact, some of the some of the the just I don't know organic joy of the event, you know, and so that those organic kind of joy moments are kind of what life is all about. It, it seems to make and if people would kind of internalize those, you could realize, hey, those are. Those are what's kind of the focus and what I'm going for. If you have more of those, rather than potentially on the other side trying to, you know, form your life perfectly along the way. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, and I, I've known people just like what you're describing, right? Where it's like, it's all about the wedding. And I, I've had similar conversations of like, okay, you put all of this energy into the perfect wedding but you need to put that energy into having the happy marriage right this is one day and yes the pictures will last forever and yes you'll look back and smile but you know the point isn't the wedding the point is the marriage and it's almost encouraging people to take a step back Right. Because I think in a, especially with with wedding planning, I I haven't had my own wedding. I'll admit that um, I've been a bridesmaid and a maid of honor and a lot of weddings, um, you know, so I've, I've seen that sort of that stress level. Right. Of trying to plan and you want this, you know, you want the pretty pictures and you want the perfect reception. And, you know, and it's like at the end of the day, whether it went exactly the way it was in your head or not you know, the happiness was who was there. And those people, they're unpredictable, <laughs> you know, they're gonna they're gonna do what they're gonna do at your wedding, right? They may not dance the perfect way that you wanted during a particular song, or, you know, the tables might get served out of order. <laughs> you know, did that ruin the day? No, not really, right? So put the energy into what's valuable in the day. Um, or at least that's kind of the way I look at it of take the t take the step back right um especially if you're in a moment of just being like ah <laughs> yeah not everything you, you just need that moment to kind of you know whatever and and so it's like for those type of moments in life it's it's like okay well what happens for example let's just take the wedding kind of analogy you know you gotta look at those decision points in life and say hey well what happens if everything goes perfectly? Does it mean that my marriage is gonna go perfectly? Not necessarily. It's two completely kind of different things. Each one is just a moment in time. There's perfect examples of where people have had wonderful marriages and terrible wedding days. Like, my parents are, believe, are believe it or not, one of the worst things. And they've told me this story a couple of times and it's really crazy, but my parents have been married, I think, oh goodness, going on 40 years now. Um, but on their wedding day, it was a mountain of disasters that just happens. I mean, there was no AC in the church. Um, the wedding, I think mama's wedding dress was damaged somehow. 
um, my mom's, uh, two of my mom's brothers got in a car accident that day, completely totaled the car. Like the car wasn't like a, like a mangled mess. Both of them walked out without a scratch. You know, um, the, I think one of the rings was lost or something like that, or didn't show up. Um, they took pictures and of all the pictures, they were supposed to get them like three or four days later. But in that, in that, um, that time, the photographer's house burned down. So literally they have like one picture, one or two pictures of their actual wedding day. Like it's just these dominoes of just horrible, just events that could happen. But they're like, it's just one day and they've been happy ever since. Like they never fight. And so it's like, it's these decision points that you have to think, okay, what happens if things go, if things go a different way, right? Um, that's, that's a life that I've never lived, but it's okay because I don't know what all of the, I guess, butterfly effect things afterwards, after that decision might have looked like. You know, you could have had a perfect day, but then all of a sudden all these bad things happen later in life. And so you have to realize that they're not, they're not, like all of your life events are not connected. And to be okay with the decision that you make right now about whatever you're doing, is the best decision that you think you can make at the time. And I think it's, for a lot of people, it's kind of difficult because they always want to perceive that they can make the best decision, you know, and, and anticipate what the results of that decision will be. And we just, frankly, we don't know. You just have to keep going. It's all plan A, right? Yeah. I mean, really, it's all plan A. Um, no matter what twists and turns it takes, it's, it's always, the path that you're on right um and you make of it what you will um and it's up to you to make it what it what you want it to be right so if it's really important you're gonna find some way to make that happen for yourself um and understand that what was important you know maybe a year ago five years ago ten years ago you know, if it hasn't happened, it, it kind of take that moment to be introspective and go, okay, was it was it really important, right? Is it really something I still want to kind of pursue, or am I okay with where it is now? Um, but you know, in general, I, I try to always put my my the lens of it's all plan A, even if it's not working out the way I thought it was going to. You know, um, previously, it's still in a good place. Right. And if it's not in a good place, it's up to me to put it in that good place for me. Right. Not the good place for somebody else, but the good place for me, because I'm living my life, not somebody else. They're living their life. <laughs> right. Right. I, I mean, how do you think, uh, I guess, I guess what's the frequency in which you feel like you should kind of take that moment to be able to look at whether plan A is still what you want? Like, is it per decision? Is it, you know, is there a specific length of time? I mean, not, not to put you on the spot, but I'm just thinking about how, how we go about life, right? Like, how long do we stay on plan A if we feel it might not be what we want anymore? Yeah, um, you know, I, I've always found that life will tell me when to take that break, right? The system always kind of tells me when it's going off track. And I've had those moments, you know, I'll admit I, I had maybe what some might call like sort of a, a nervous breakdown at one point in my life where it was just like, okay, I've put 
all of my energy into career. And then I had like a bad review at work where I didn't get the kind of rating that I thought I should get. And I was just like, I all of a sudden it checked me up and it was like, wait a second. Like, this is what I've put all my energy into. And now you're telling me like, I'm not good at this or that this, that I didn't do as well as I thought I did. And it made me pause in that moment. It, it told me take that step back and really look at it and evaluate. And, you know, I made some changes at that point. You know, I went and I said, okay, there's some things I need to like really work out for myself. And I did that work, right? I did that kind of mental work for myself. Um, you know, and I looked at what aspects of my job were bringing me joy and which ones were kind of sucking my life out. And I had enough courage to go to my bosses at that point and say, look, you know, here's the stuff that doesn't really make me happy to work here. Um, so how can we, how can we work on these that they have, you know, a different expectation or a different, you know, can we do anything with this? Right. And they have the option to tell me yes or no. Now I was happy that they said, yes, you know, we'll, we'll work out some ways that we can adjust this, um, get you some help here and, and do things a little bit differently because they valued me as an employee. Um, you know, so that was a good thing. Um, but you have to, I think, when those moments pres present themselves, take that moment to be introspective and then kind of formulate what is the new plan and then go execute it, right? And be willing to let it shift, right? Because especially when you're dealing with other people, right? They have the same free will that you do. So just because it's what you want doesn't mean that that's going to meet kind of their needs anymore. So allow that to be a negotiation, um, and then you can kind of move forward and you make decisions and you figure out where the path is going, where plan A is really going. Yeah, where plan is going and, you know, you kind of brought up a good point because, it, you know, it, it feels like, like when you went to your bosses and, you know, you had that kind of change of momentum is, you know, you have to kind of take the temperature on your own life uh, sometimes in different aspects, right? So whether it's your health, whether it's your career, whether it's you know your social life or um, your family, your friends, um, you know your aspirations, your ambitions, or whatever. And if you feel that they're out of balance or not where you want them to be, like you have to kind of take the initiative to right that ship, right? And when you right that ship, I think it makes it easier to be able to look at the other decisions and say, that wasn't what I wanted. Because, you know, I've, I've refocused, I've, you know, if, you know, maybe you're in a bad relationship or something like that, you said, you know what, I got out of that relationship, you know, and been by myself, focused on myself, and then now I feel better and feel more confident, I feel more energized about life because I got out of that maybe a toxic relationship. And so by doing so, that could make it easier to look at that relationship and like, that was a life that I could have been on if I continued on with that relationship, but would I have been happy? Maybe not, because obviously I've, I'm feeling more powerful, more enabled at the moment because I'm not in that relationship. And so taking that moment to be able to, I guess, kind of organize your life and say, hey, what's really important, kind of recenter, is I think really huge to, to allowing people to 
be okay with the decisions that they make and be okay with the life that they haven't lived and kind of make peace with it. Well, and one of the things that I, just as you're talking and as our conversation is unfolding, that's kind of resonating with me is just life takes courage, you know, and it's not for the faint of heart, right? <laughs> my, my mother always used to tell me, like, getting old is not for the faint of heart. Like, it's tough. It's tough to become an old person. There's a reason why we're a little bit crusty, right? Like... <laughs> Or a little bit grouchy like we've lived a lot and you know it's it's taken incredible courage and you know so that's just one of the things that's kind of resonating with me right now um listening to you talk of you know and sort of reflect on this moment of just the incredible amount of courage that it takes to to be introspective to change paths and to find that happiness um with where you're going where you are and where you're going yeah, I mean, just to you know, play devil's advocate for the conversation. Um, do you ever feel that there is a time in which it is okay to? I don't want to use the word wallow, but if you make a decision that you then feel is the incorrect decision, to be able to address that in any way, like is is that a healthy thing to do? Um, or is it something that we just kind of need to live and let live and then throw it off to the wayside? Um, I mean, I think there's certainly a grieving point, right? With anything that becomes a loss or moving away from something. Um, and I think it's important to have those moments of grief. But I think that, you know, again, you're looking for the balance at what point has it has it stopped being grieving and it's become something else, right? That's now taking away from the rest of the life that you have to live. Um, you know, and each person has to figure out where that where that point is. But you know, I think the people around you, kind of going back to sort of where this conversation started, is you know, when you're looking at your peer group, your peer group is going to give you kind of cues. Right. There's going to be a certain point where they're saying, OK, you know, Mike, Abby, like, come back. Right. We've, we've lost you. Come back. Right. Your family is going to have those kinds of moments with you as well of saying, like, I understand that this bad thing has happened. I understand that you're grieving maybe the loss of something. Um, you know, how do I help you move forward? Right. And I think that's the triggers that you're looking for to say, OK, is this has this now gone from something cathartic and healing into something else where now I may be on pause in my life or stuck. Being paused or stuck is never kind of a good place. And I think, you know, when you were talking, it really kind of triggered the thought of me as to. You know, like he's talking about finding that grieving point for maybe decisions that didn't go your, you know, you, you perceived at the moment that didn't go your way or that you, that you didn't like. Um, but I think the key is to is to kind of learn from it, right? Is to kind of acknowledge that, acknowledge it to yourself, and then also to, to in the face of others that maybe that wasn't a decision that was right for me. You know, um, one of the ones that kind of always triggers in my brain is just because I'm oftentimes extremely analytical um, 
my dad used to tell me I should be an engineer. He's like, you have to figure out these random things and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And originally I started to go for like engineering and you know, went to college and started one and I just kind of realized, I was like, yeah, it's just not really for me. And so every single time I talk with him, you know, um, you know, I've told him before, I'm like, I don't know, engineering just might not be it, dad. And he's like, okay, it's like, that's fine. He's like, you know, find what you find, what that thing is. And my parents have always been supportive in, in going down that road. Um, but to bring it back, you know, like nowadays when I go on my analytical tangents, he's like, see, you should have been an engineer. I'm like, yeah, I know, Dad. And we always have a good laugh about it. But it's getting to that point to where you understand that that was a moment in time that I went down this path that I thought it might be something for me. But I realized it's not. And that's okay because I've grown as a person. I found a different path. And to look back at it with favor and look at that decision and be like, that was a growing moment. At that moment in time, I realized that I learned that I, maybe I didn't want to be an engineer. There's nothing wrong with that because I didn't actualize that particular goal of mine at the time, you know, and to, and to keep, keep the chain moving. And I found when you acknowledge it, like it takes that power away. It takes that, that fear away that, uh, let's say not, not necessarily a loss, but that, uh, that negative impression of that particular instance, you know, and now and now we laugh about it and we joke about it. It's the same thing about like being a doctor. I love to watch, you know, surgeries on TV, you know, when they cut people open and stuff like that. And, you know, my, uh, my lady's like, yeah, you probably should have been a doctor. You like, you're not squeamish with blood and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, yeah. Did I want to go down the whole school path to be a doctor for nine, 10 years and do all that kind of stuff? Not really, <laughs> you know, and that's okay, you know, but saying it, it's, it, you know, voicing it so that way it doesn't end up spiraling in your head and kind of creating that negative impression of it is I think been really huge for me to kind of just let go and be like, hey, that's, that's just, that's just not the life that I had planned for my life that I'm focusing on now. That was a previous decision life. That was a previous Mike, you know, old Mike maybe wanted to be a doctor. That's all right. This mic doesn't want to be. <laughs> exactly. And I had I had certainly those same things. I think a doctor was somewhere in my path. Um, at one point, that was maybe a goal that was there. Um, you know, but my, my family really thought, okay, you're going to run our company someday. Um, so it was like, you're going to be a, you're going to be a CEO someday. Like, but I don't actually, um, like I don't get a lot of fulfillment and joy from like managing people. <laughs> so <laughs> that's might need, that, might need that if you're gonna be a CEO. Just yeah, just a little <laughs> bit, right? Um, you know, so it, it was like, look, that might be your path for me, but that's not my path for me. Like my path is something different. Um, you know, my my career has gone in completely different directions. You know, I teach a lot of. Um, you know, management skills, right? But it's, I, I'm, I'm maybe that cliche of like, do as I say, not as I do. Because <laughs> I don't actually manage teams, but I, I understand systemic thinking and, and management techniques, right? And ways to help people that are good at it up their game, right? Another level. Like, and that's, which is definitely, 
you know, at 18, 21, you know, 22 coming out of college, that's not what I thought I would be doing. Um, life went a totally different path. Um, so, you know, it's, but it needs to be okay that it, that the plan changed. Yeah. And like you, you talked about like realizing that your plan is going to change, your life is going to change as you grow. You know, there's some things that I want to, you know, for each individual's life, there's certain characteristics and and you, you spoke to it a few minutes ago, which was maybe, you know, you, you potentially want to be a parent or you know you want to find a significant other or maybe you want to run a company or you want to start a nonprofit organization whatever the case is but the timing for it is completely different right like not everything has to be done on the timeline you know that you intended to have it like okay maybe I want to start a nonprofit that doesn't mean that I can't start it at 65 70 as long as I started like one of the ones for me is at some point in time in my life I told myself I wanted something after like I wanted a after my name meaning either you know an MD to be a doctor or a PhD to be a doctor or something like that like I wanted that and I still do but it's not something that I want right now like I'm envisioning when I'm 75 and retired and have nothing else to do then I'm gonna go get my doctorate have it for like 10 years and I'll be dead but I'll be like hey I checked off checked it off the box like I'm good you know <laughs> that's my thought done process and done. <laughs> done it like I like I checked it like I'm not attached to it being right now yeah um, well so. and that just shows it's not a you know it's not a piece of the identity you're trying to create right it's something to enhance life it's not the thing to make your life Ooh, that's a good one like you have to look at those decisions as things to enhance Excellent. Well, I want to be respectful of Abby's time. And so I think we've got a lot of good nuggets and stuff like that. So what I'm going to do now is kind of do a little recap of all the good stuff that kind of rose to the top. And you let me know if we missed anything. Okay. Okay. So when we're talking about being at peace with our, our unlived life, our unlived lives, some of the things that we need to kind of take in mind is to talk with the influencers um, of our young adult selves about the path that we want to take and have that courage to be able to do so. So telling our parents, telling our peer groups to say, hey, listen, I understand that you may think that I am good with this or um, that I have all the skills or aptitude, but that's not something that I particularly want to do. Like that's not the path that I'm on. Be flexible with the time frame for your decisions of, of how you want to go about your life. You can have different skills, different things that you want to achieve, but make sure that they're fluid so you can tackle them at any point, for example, in your life. Be okay with the decisions that you make and having the courage to say that, hey, it's okay if a decision didn't pan out the way that I had originally anticipated. Um, Take the temperature on your life on a regular, consistent basis. So um, whether it's your social life, your career path that you're going on, your health and wellness, um, your mental, you know, kind of well-being, um, the aspirations that you have, like find a way to get those in balance at a regular interval, so that way you can be okay when decisions might not pan out okay, because you know that that's the best decision that you could have made at that point in time. Um, and then for those decisions that you may feel not 
that didn't go a potentially great way is have a grieving point for those decisions and make sure you learn from them. Acknowledge those decisions that that was the best decision that I could have made at that particular moment in time and then communicate to that to people in your, your closest inner circle to say, hey, yep, I made that decision. It might not have been great, but I'm moving forward because I learned from it and I'm on to the next. So that helps remove all the power from um, anything that you weren't able to actualize in that other life that you had. Did I miss anything? No, I think you summed it up perfect. Well, I'm really happy with um, the the points that we got from the show. I think we got four or five nuggets. We'll definitely put that together and, and kind of get it for more people to consist with. But um, I really have to take a moment to say, Abby, thank you for, for all of your time today and, and your insights and, and bringing together some of these some of these nuggets of wisdom about how to better balance, I guess, our internal selves and you know our own aspirations and stuff like that. So thank you so much for, for sharing the time with us. Absolutely, absolutely. And thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun. Wonderful. Well, we'll definitely have you on the show again. Um, but for those listeners, that kind of wraps up our show today. Um, you can always interact with us using the handle at IdeaProv on all of our social media channels. And then look out for the blog post in a couple of, um, in a little while. So that way you can kind of continue the conversation with us and kind of extrapolate more there. Uh, stay tuned after the break and we'll look, at, look out for our IdeaProv insight. So for this idea of problem insight, I want to share with you something called the Feynman Technique. This is a technique for the, finding the best way to learn anything. So this is done by a physicist, and the technique goes like this. So you choose a concept or topic, and you try and teach it to a young child. From there, you find the gaps in your knowledge or the areas in which you were a little bit fumbling over your words, go back to your source material, and you know where to approach and learn more about the topic for a better understanding. This helps remove just not knowing the name of something, but then also being able to articulate it as well, increasing the probability that you can actually retain the information. So I wanted to share this with you because I thought it would be very helpful for people to better techniques to help them learn. Until next time.